Well, uh, thank you, Ty. Thank you, Jennifer. I've got a suitcase here uh, for you today and a question for you to think about. And the question is, what are you carrying through the wilderness? Ann and I had some Christmas travels this year, and when we came back to Seattle, there was snow on the ground. When we got out of the light rail, we thought, you know what, let's just walk home. And so, you know, we took our bags and um, began that trek back home. And uh, this is where I had plenty of time to meditate on that phrase that they use, a light packer. Um, Anne and I ended up home in a very different mood because Anne actually is a light packer and she has a little suitcase with wheels on it. I, on the other hand, like to have all the right gear for every occasion. And so I have a huge duffel bag, which I was carrying uh, on, my, on my shoulder like this. And when we got home, she was happy and I was cranky, understandably so. I won't tell you whose idea it was to walk, by the way. But the wilderness is this place in between. It's the place in between what once was and what one day will be. The goal of the wilderness is not just to get where we're going. The goal in the wilderness is to become who we're becoming. It's to grow in grace. So we've been learning about that. But this brings us to the question, as you go through the wilderness, what are you trying to carry? Because I think the one thing that's most natural to to carry through the wilderness is also, oddly, the one thing that we can't carry through the wilderness. And that is disappointment. I want to reflect on that with you a little bit today, reflect on disappointment. But um, let's open up our Bibles, back to the story that we've been studying the book of Numbers this morning, which, as I've told you, the Jewish community refers to as uh, in the wilderness. That's the title from the first few words of the book, in the wilderness. And if you're here in the room, I'd invite you to open up uh, the Pew Bible. We will put the words on the screen, but I'll read them from the Pew Bible. And this text is on page 113. It's Numbers chapter 11, two parts, first verses 4 through 6, and then 10 through 20. I'm going to read since it's a little bit long for us, but I would invite you to follow along in your Bible, whether you're here or anywhere else. And if you want, please let's stand together as a way of honoring the Lord about whom this is written. Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, and then 10 through 20. The rabble among them had a strong craving, and the Israelites also wept again and said, if only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing? The the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now I'm going to jump ahead to verse 10. Because jumping over the description of the manna. Verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all at the entrances of their tents. The Lord became very angry and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. 
I'm not able to carry all this people alone, for they're too heavy for me. If this is the way you're going to treat me, put me to death at once if I've found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. So the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not bear it all by yourself. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wailed in the hearing of the Lord saying, if only we had meat to eat, surely it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not only one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. So again, the question, what are you trying to carry through your wilderness? Well, think about what the Israelites were trying to carry, disappointment. They're disappointed, aren't they? They're disappointed about the food. They're disappointed about the whole wilderness experience. They're disappointed about Moses, the leader. And this is really the most natural thing to feel when we're in the wilderness. The wilderness is this place in between. It's a place of transition. We're not meant to be at home in the wilderness. It's desolation. Remember, wilderness, we shouldn't think recreation like we do in the Northwest. For them, we should think desolation inhospitality, a place we shouldn't live. Disappointment is natural in this place, but it's also deadly. Disappointment pulls the Israelites backwards. Why did we ever leave Egypt? God is trying to move them forward. Remember the story, just step back for a second. They came into Egypt 430 years earlier. They were looking for food. Joseph found it in Egypt in a time of famine. But there was another Pharaoh after Joseph and he didn't remember the Israelites. And he became, they became an opportunity for exploitation. And soon the Egyptians were enslaving the Israelites. They were conscripted into forced labor. There was acts of genocide, killing baby boys. And so this is where they are. And then they cry out to God. And we can just imagine what that was like. Oh, Lord, save us from this place. Oh, Lord, free us from slavery. Oh, Lord, let us go back to that place that you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Back to Canaan. Please get us out of here. And in fact, he does. He hears that cry and miraculously. Did you know that the word exodus, exodus, it means a way out. God gives them a way out. But here what they want is a way back. Oh my. In their disappointment, they say, why did we ever leave Egypt? Seriously? That's such an easy question to answer. Egypt was killing you. You want to go back there? Yes. We know Egypt was killing us. We know we were slaves. But it's all we've ever known. It's, it's not 
a good place, but it's our home. It's our place. See, they're carrying disappointment. They've packed disappointment in their luggage, and they're trying to get it through the wilderness. They're carrying this craving, the text says, for the past. Not just for meat or cucumbers. It's for the past. They've packed in their suitcase what used to be, what has been, what they thought should have been, what they wish had been, right? They packed it full of nostalgia and idealism and disillusionment and regret and cynicism. They're trying to carry this. It's a heavy load. It's natural, but one cannot carry these things forward because they're an orientation towards the past, the orientation of the soul towards what once was and what if only could have been. And the what ifs, they all pull us away from God. They pull us apart from one another and they pull us backwards. And this is the story that Moses is telling here. If you want to know what's at stake here in Numbers 11, then read the end of the chapter in verse 24. The people name this place and they call it the graves of craving. You can see that in our text, footnote W. The Hebrew means the graves of of craving. This is a place of deadly disappointment. And so, what are we carrying? What are we carrying? I wonder. Recently, I found myself asking this question How does what was good about the past keep me from seeing what's good about the present? Because we're in the wilderness, right? We are. And every comparison between today and yesterday is bound to favor yesterday when you're in the wilderness. Even if yesterday you spent most of your time yearning for tomorrow. This is the insight of the text. I love the way the text sheds a light not only on who God is but on who we are. This is what the Bible does. What if we're in the wilderness, we've been asking ourselves, for spiritual renewal? Because God wants to make himself known to us. And that's why he's put us in this season of transition or hardship. What if that's the purpose for this? God has put us here in the wilderness. And maybe God has put something in the wilderness, something in today. That is meant to get us not backwards, but to a new tomorrow. A new future where he wants us to go. Listen to the words that we use today. When will we be getting back to normal? When will blank be back? You know, fill it in for yourself. When will we be back? And when we try to get back to that thing and we go back, frankly, it is a disappointment right now. Have you noticed that? I mean, you go back to work and nobody's there. It's just not the same. You, you, you go back to the gym if, if you've dared so far. And again, where, where are my friends? You know, the machines are here, but it, who else is here? Same thing when we come back to church. I hear these little reunions. It's so fun when people are, are here physically, but also you look around and you go, this isn't what I remember. This is, this is rather disappointing. Where, where are the cinnamon rolls, right? <laughs> we go back to the cinnamon rolls. <clears throat> it's the disappointments that we notice. We don't realize it, but maybe we're like the Israelites packing into our suitcases the same kinds of things that they are. Nostalgia, idealism, regret, disillusionment, cynicism. I tell you, we are not meant to carry all that. It is too heavy for us. And you cannot get through the wilderness to the place God is leading us if we try to pull that all through. And so what do we do? How do we lighten this load? 
How can we release ourselves from this irresistible pull backwards, back to slavery, back to Egypt, back to the flesh pots? Well, first I wanna suggest we have to unpack the suitcase. We have to unpack our grief. We have to unpack our grief. That's the first thing. You see, the wilderness is a place of grief. I say it's defined by change. It's a transition place. So anytime there's change, even good change, there's always some loss. No matter how good the change is, you'll experience a loss of some old thing. And where there's loss, there is grief. And where there is grief, there will be disappointment. And this is that craving for the past. Now, I suspect that the Israelites, they don't even know that they're grieving, as is so often the case for us, because they've underestimated how hard the wilderness would be. But there is this grief in the camp. Apparently, it spreads like a virus, the way the writer describes it. It it begins on the periphery, apparently, with some foreigners who are traveling with the Israelites. And then soon, it jumps to uh, another host. And the Israelites now are carrying this one person to the next until, as Moses says, they're standing, each one by the entrance of his tent, wailing. They're crying. They're inconsolate. They're grieving in the wilderness. This grief is pulling them apart. They're divided from themselves and distant from the Lord who is among them, he says later. So Richard Rohr says, pain that is not transformed is transferred. And the Bible tells us that if we don't unpack our grief, we will not like the results. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. What he's saying is if you don't handle your grief in a timely way, it will will create space between you and God, space between you and others. There's a playground for the devil, bring division, it'll pull us back into the past. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Make sure you don't fall into the grace, you don't fail to fall into the grace of God. He says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And through it, many become defiled. He says, when when we are grieving and we don't turn to God's grace, there's something below the surface that's happening. It could be like a seed that you never even noticed was sown there, but pretty soon it's dropping a taproot down. And and after that, eventually it will break ground and it will cause trouble. That's what happens when we don't unpack our grief. And anybody who wants to move forward in anything in life has to know what to do with what will pull them back. You have to know how to unpack your grief. Because anytime there's something good, you go to a new school, a new place to live, a new practice or breaking an old habit, a new relationship, disappointment will come. Disappointment will come. We're not in heaven yet. There's going to be disappointment. And you need to know how to manage that disappointment or it will pull you back. And here Moses is the model. How does Moses do this? Let's look at what he shows the Israelites. The others are complaining to the people, but he's complaining to God. I want you to notice the difference between that. Nothing wrong with complaining. It's, it's where you go with your complaints. He's, everyone else is complaining to one another, and, and, and he's brought his complaint to the Lord. He's doing the spiritual work of grief. He's lifting up his heart to the Lord, isn't it? We get to hear the conversation. Listen, verses 11 and then 14 and 15. Here's what Moses says to the Lord. Why have you treated your servants so badly? 
why have I not found favor? Where's the grace in my life, he's saying, in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? I'm not able to carry all this people alone, for they're too heavy for me. Is this the way you're going to treat me? Put me to death at once. Kill me now, one translation says. You know, in an ancient culture with traditional hierarchical society, you would never speak to an elder that way, let alone to God. But here Moses has the freedom to come into the presence of, of the Lord and just vent his grief, just pour it out. I mean, this is part of what happens when we lift up our hearts to the Lord. Here Moses is modeling that. Listen to the grief there. He says, why would you do this? This is the question we oftentimes ask in our grief. Why is this happening to me? Why? Oh, I'm exhausted. This is too heavy. The the burden of this is is killing me. This is my grief. This is what I've lost. This is what it's doing to me. It's too heavy. And as I read this text, I thought of so many of you this week. I I thought about the way we feel, right? You know, our our healthcare givers right now, um, our teachers, our children trying to navigate all these protocols and just get to school and friends and learn and grow. Business owners and those who are elderly and and isolated and in a nursing home or an apartment just shut down. We just say, "Ah, I just can't do it anymore. It's just altogether too much for me. And this is what Moses is saying. And he's bringing that to the Lord. And notice what happens when he does. There's a surprise in the text. Notice what happens. There's revelation in the text. The Lord reveals something deep to Moses and through his prayer to us. He reveals a feminine image for God, a nursing mother. This is the image of a mother carrying a child. And Moses is the one who puts it into his complaint. Do you think I gave birth to these people? You think I'm their mother? Am I supposed to nurse them? Well, the Israelite reader who's familiar with the canon of scripture understands this is actually not Moses' role, but this is the role that God has given himself for us. This language is the language that the Bible uses frequently in several places of the Lord himself. Listen to this. I am the rock that bore you, the God who gave you birth, Deuteronomy 32. Out of Egypt I called my son, Hosea 1. Can a woman forget her nursing child, yet I will not forget you. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, Isaiah 49. Kind of points us to the cross there, doesn't it? As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, Isaiah 66. And O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you as a mother gathers her chicks. Jesus himself says this. Now, the interesting thing is Moses doesn't quite get that. He thinks that's his role. He thinks that's his identity. But the reader realizes, oh my gosh, Moses doesn't need to carry Israel. This is exactly the way the Lord has chosen to relate to Israel. As a mother picking up a child into her arms. You know that if you're ever around a kid, they, you know, they they lift up their hands like this and say, carry me, carry me, carry me. And you reach down and you pull them up. Our dog does this now. You You pull them up. And the Lord says, this is me. This is who I am, Moses. You're not carrying Israel. I am carrying you. That's what happens when we pray our disappointments. We lift up our hearts like a, an airplane off the runway in a cloudy day at SeaTac, and it's so gloomy, and we lift them. We break through into the bright light of God's grace, and it's Southern California up there. Right? And God says, you let me take that hurt. Would you let me take those wounds? God says, I, I know all about what you're going through. 
he brings us to the cross of Jesus Christ and there at the cross we, we reflect on the Lord's love for us. We do the work of, of grieving right there and we hear the Lord saying, I know all about the loss of abandonment. I know all about the loss of misunderstanding. I know all about the loss of betrayal, the loss of shame, the loss of injustice, the loss of homelessness, losing a child. I know all about this. But for this, dear one, I gave my life. And so you, you could say prayer at the cross releases us from the power of loss, doesn't it? Prayer at the cross releases us from the power of loss. And let me say, this is necessary for spiritual renewal because Jesus is gonna be a threat to some part of our life that is not whole, that it does not reflect his otherness and goodness and holiness. And if we're gonna be able to let go of those things to offer ourselves as living sacrifices willingly, because he doesn't take it from us, if we're gonna offer it to him in order to be renewed spiritually, then we're gonna have to confront those areas of our lives in which we have been enslaved and we have to put our past in the past. I like what Joyce Rupp says, and she's a hospice nurse, a Catholic hospice nurse, She's, by the way, she's written this wonderful book of prayers, I commend them to you, called Praying Our Goodbyes. And if you'd like a kind of a workbook along this series, it'd be very helpful just to, Praying Our Goodbyes, a great little guidebook for lifting up our hearts. And in this book she writes, to descend into the depths of ourselves, we must be willing to risk losing the security and the safety of that to which we had become so accustomed. It may mean leaving behind a certain self-image or some deeply rooted concepts, such as our understanding of what it means to be the church or to be masculine or feminine, of what it means to be a family or a friend, of what it means to be successful or whole. We might have to leave something behind. We do that as we pray our disappointments. So when you're traveling through the wilderness, you wanna travel light. So unpack what keeps you from becoming what you're meant to become. It might have been cucumbers, the craving for cucumbers. It might have been a false identity like Moses had in the sense that he had to carry Israel. Unpack that grief, pray through your disappointments, name them, and then move on. Secondly, thing we have to do is to repack the suitcase, and I wanna suggest this text encourages us to repack our expectation. Repack our expectation. Because we're not going back to normal, we're not going back at all. In our wilderness and in your wilderness, God has you there because he wants to lead you forward into something new. Remember the promise of Isaiah 43, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. He's reflecting on this experience. And he says he's calling Israel as they come out of exile to expectation. Expectation. Where we're going, the one thing you can't live without is expectation. If disappointment is the orientation of the soul that pulls us back, expectation is the orientation of the soul that pulls us forward into God's new tomorrow. We need that sense of expectation that he's going to do a new thing. I mean, after all, we're eating manna here, the Israelites might think to themselves. Every meal is a miracle. It may not be the best food, but it's a miracle. We've been led through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud and fire. We've walked through the parted 
see. Our sins are forgiven in this little tent. What could be crazier than this? God responds to Moses' prayer by sending his spirit. The spirit is the agent of the unexpected. If the key words in this text are craving, they're also spirit or wind, which is the same Hebrew word, ruach, which means breath. And God breathes the quails, the meat over Sinai for food. God will breathe on new leaders, he says, 70 for Moses. I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you, he says to Moses, and put it on them. The Lord is answering this prayer by sending his Holy Spirit, the agent of the unexpected. And this, if you are open to an experience of spiritual renewal, is the one with whom we have to do. We get to do. The Holy Spirit is being sent upon us in response to prayers of disappointment in order to do a new thing for them and for us as well. The agent of the unexpected will give Moses new capacity. All right, he's got a new capacity now to be able to carry, uh, to be able to go forward, to be able to expect a new thing. When I was a new believer as a young man, I, uh, I prayed some really crazy prayers because I didn't know any better. And one time I was on this road trip from New England to upstate New York, and I'd forgotten to bring my directions. I knew I was going to Binghamton, but I didn't know which hotel I was supposed to go to. Uh, somebody else had made the reservation. And I'm, this is pre-GPS. I didn't have a cell phone. I'm just driving along. And I get off the freeway and get into the city. And I just start driving block by block. And I thought, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know what I'm going to do here. I have to find a pay phone to call somebody. Well, I said, well, let me first pray. And so I said, Lord, um, can you show me where I'm supposed to be? It's <laughs> like, how, how would the Lord answer that prayer? I don't know. So I, I'm praying, Lord, direct me. Um, it's a new believer. You promised great things. Direct me. Guide me here. So I'm driving through and I turn, come around a corner and there's a Holiday Inn and it has a big sign all lit up and says, guest of the month, George Hinman. <laughs> I'm like, I kid you not, you're probably thinking I'm always the guest of the month wherever I go. But no, I was the guest of the month at Holiday Inn and they put it up, it's probably illegal to do that now. I mean, I don't know how they did, but there it was for all the city. Everybody was driving by, they knew my name. And I, and I went in and there was a fruit basket that came with it as well. And I don't, think, I don't think the Lord always does this, but, but, but as a new believer, what I think he was saying is, George, I want you to pack your expectations. I'm doing a new thing in your life, and I'm going to surprise you, right? And that's true for us as well. Pack your expectations. What does that mean? It means you, you wake up in every morning willing to claim the capacity of heaven for your day. You acknowledge that there's an agent the agent of the unexpected, the Holy Spirit, has been poured out upon you. And you're going to be on assignment today. You say that, Lord, I'm on assignment today. Uh, you'll say to the Lord, I lift up my heart to the Lord. And God will say, I put some of the power of my Holy Spirit in you. And then you get ready for a surprise. Here's a question. Lord, what are you going to do in and through me today that I never could have done yesterday? as you get me ready for tomorrow. Expectation. They call this place the graves of craving. But here's what you know. You know that around Jesus, whatever you put in a grave never stays there very long. 
right? Expectations. Out of buried disappointments come new hope. Expectations. Out of old pain comes new possibilities. Expectations. Can these dry bones live? The prophet says, oh Lord, you know. Let your spirit blow. Expectations. What are you carrying in your suitcase today? I want to encourage you today to unpack your grief. Unpack it. Takes, it's going to be hard. Take some time to do. You might need some help, a counselor, friends to do that. Unpack your grief. What are you sad about? You may not even know it. Lift your heart up to the Lord to, to do that. And then repack your expectations. Your God loves you. Your God carries you as a mother carries an infant in her arms and wants a new thing for you, a new thing. Years ago, there was a dirty duffel bag sitting in our front hallway. Our child had just come back from a summer at summer camp and it was steaming and smelling and giving off all kinds of odors in our front hallway. We were afraid to open it up. <laughs> Sat there for a few days, as I recall. But we, we, finally, we unzipped this duffel bag and we started pulling stuff out, all the dirty laundry, a few rocks, some shells, uh, crafts. And then in the bottom of the bag, there were letters. It was all the letters that we had written almost every day, all summer, and they were all unopened. <laughs> I mean, we'd set aside this time to say, I love you, I'm, you know, I hope, I hope you're having a great day and everything. And we're like, <clears throat> did you ever think about opening any of those letters? Uh, and the child said, I just didn't have, yeah, but I just didn't have time. <laughs> this is a boy. <laughs> and you know, it drove me nuts. I was really frustrated by that. But I look over and his mother just has this sweet smile on her face as though she knew, as though she knew in life, it's not the love that we carry that gets us through the wilderness. It's the love that carries us. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do cry out to you. We know our redemption is not complete. We may not be in Egypt, yet there are things that enslave us. We cry out for a full measure of your Holy Spirit that we might respond to the words of our Savior and guide Jesus Christ. He says, if you follow me, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Oh, how we yearn for that. We pray that we will find freedom ourselves, that we will be a place, a community, through your spirit, what others do as well. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.